Uh, let me pray for us real quick, and then uh, we'll jump into the text tonight. Thank you so much, Jesus, just for uh, just the opportunity to get to do ridiculous things uh, for you, and just as a as a body of believers and just a family on mission. Um, just pray over the service this evening. Um, Father, I pray that my words would not be my own, that I'd just simply be a microphone for the Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, I pray that we just all have softened hearts, open ears uh, to the things that your Spirit is teaching us. Uh, Jesus, speaking this time, would your word remain true? We walk out more in shock and awe of who you are and in deeper love with you and the truth and the grace that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be at tonight. Uh, tonight, we only have two more weeks of salt left, which is crazy. Uh, yep, that's, yep, boo-hoo, cry it up. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've been in our We Are series. We've got two more weeks left this week. We're looking at the body of Christ, so you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Next week, uh, we'll be closing out this semester looking at uh, Matthew 5, that we're the salt of the earth. Go figure. Um, but as you're turning to Matthew, or I'm sorry, not Matthew, that's next week, 1 Corinthians 12, we all desire to be a part of something, don't we? Especially something that's significant. And it's like borderline awkward if you're kind of on the outside looking into something that's going on, but you're not really a part of it. That's like what every like teenage-ish movie's about, like High School Musical, like Troy's trying to figure out if he's going to be like the the drama guy or the basketball guy. Like, there's a lot of movies that are based on that. I think the reason is because there's nothing worse than being outside of a group doing something significant. And more so, I think that it's even harder in our modern day because there are specific markers that kind of declare or mark that someone's in with a group or out with a group and that there's unity around something. We love in America branding, right? Like, some, anybody brand loyal to like Nike or something? No one's brand loyal to Nike except the one guy over here. <laughs> Drew, nice. Okay, uh, Nike. I don't know what what do ladies wear? What do literal ladies brand loyal to? Lululemon. Okay, that was a dumb question. All right, ladies are brand loyal to Lululemon. Whatever. But anyways. There are markers for a group that's unified around something. A lot of us are sports fans, so you got, you got the team jersey, you got the hat, you're going to the game, you're all decked out. Some of you guys go to Mizzou games without a shirt on and then paint your chest. Brands, right? There's a, there's a unity within like a, a grouping of people that like a sports team, that you know, cheer for different people. I remember when I was visiting Mizzou, as a, I guess it would have been late junior year, early senior year, I was walking on campus with my little tour group, right, a little freshman, or sophomore, or whatever, Zach, and uh, one of the other tour guides walked past our tour group, and he goes, M-I-Z, and I was like, yeah, go Tigers, man, and it was just like, I didn't know, and my mom, verbatim, my mom goes, you have to hit him with the Z-O-U, Zach, and it was like, because she, she grew up in Columbia, like, I didn't know that that was like a marker that you were like a Missouri Tiger. You said M-I-Z, and then you say Z-O-U, and I was the dumb guy. I was like, yeah, M-I-Z, and just stared at people like I was a moron. But there, that's a unifying, like, phrase or whatever for people that are, are true sons and tigers and true daughters, whatever. You're at the football game. I was at the football game. We played Florida, 
And can you imagine being a Florida fan at the game when the student section's chanting M-I-Z and the alumni section's chanting Z-O-U? You would feel so out of place because you're not unified. You're a stupid Florida Gator. <laughs> We're 10 and 2, all right? We're going bowling New Year's 6, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, there it is. Okay, but anyways, it's also funny because Florida also has a salt company, so I was talking trash to their director the other day. But anyways... All right, let's reel back. I mean, I'll start off to a bad start. Um, so, hey, here's our guiding principle for tonight to get to the Jesus stuff instead of making fun of people. Our guiding principle for tonight, uh, Sammy, it's a couple of slides down. I'm so sorry. We'll go back to the scripture in a second. The guiding principle is our community identity as the body of Christ exists solely because of what Christ has done in each of us as individuals. So our community identity as the body of Christ, as we're talking about tonight, exists solely because of what Christ has done for us as individuals. So we, we are all bought. If, if we've confessed of our sins, we repented, and we've, we've placed our faith in Jesus. I, I committed my life to Christ. I am, I am won by Him. I am bought by His blood. We individually possess faith in Jesus, and that faith in Jesus is the only thing that, that formulates our, our group or communal identity. And that reality of what Jesus has done by purchasing us by his blood and creating us in one body, as we'll see, it has implications for how we interact with one another. It has implications for how we, how we pursue a broken world that doesn't yet know Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Let's read this together. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So here's the context, right? It's helpful to know where we're at, what's going on. So Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and Paul's kind of, uh, I like Paul because he's like really blunt, just up front. He's kind of uh, just going to barge right through the front door and tell you what's going on. So the Corinthian church is kind of messed up. Um, they're getting drunk off of communion wine. Uh, they got sons who are sleeping with their stepmoms, and it's just all out of whack. And so he's addressing some pretty real issues in the church. He's calling out issues of sin with sexual morality. He's, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of disunified about the, the resurrection. It's like, did Christ really raise? Are we going to get raised in new bodies? All these big questions that he's trying to help them theologically understand. So he's addressing those things. He's addressing the gathering as a whole. He's addressing the Lord's Supper, all these different things, things that help a church run, that help Christians be Christians. But the issue is that the Corinthian church had become disunified in many ways, and they'd forgotten the good news of the gospel. Their gospel lens had gotten cloudy, and they needed realignment, and Paul was helping them get there. This body or collection of believers was disunified, and pride and selfishness was taking over rapidly as they were seeking to use their spiritual gifts that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, had given them, which we'll talk about in a little bit, to build up their own repertoire, to build up their own platform, to, to make them look more spiritual than other people. And Paul says that is not how the body of Christ is supposed to function. It's not about one person, if it's, unless it's Jesus, and that these gifts that we have actually build up the whole body. So the first thing we're going to look at tonight is how we actually become a part of this body. In verses 12 through 14, Paul helps us understand how we actually become a part of the body of Christ. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Notice how many times the word one is used in these three verses, six times. And this is important because, again, the Corinthian church is disunified. There's factions and frictions that are kind of splitting the people apart. They're splitting hairs about these tertiary issues, and they're splitting hairs also about big-time issues as well. So there's a lot of disunity in the body, and Paul is calling for unity in the body. The body of Christ, often called the bride of Christ, is God's church, that Christ is the head and, and we are the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. And as we'll see in Revelation 21, 22, if you read that, uh, there's going to come a time when Jesus comes and takes the bridegroom with him. And, uh, or not the bridegroom, he is the bridegroom. He's taking himself. He takes, the, uh, he takes the bride with him and we get to live with him in eternity. The time has not yet come. But what is a church? We talk about the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, all synonymous, but what actually is the church? Well, the church is it's a group of Christians who assemble. It's not just a building. This building is uh, super great for the eye. We love our building, but it's not the nicest, I know. Um, it's not a building. It's not a place that we go to. It's nice to have a space to gather, but it's simply the gathering of Christians who are assembling essentially as, as, a, as an earthly embassy representing Christ's heavenly kingdom that is to come. We're proclaiming good news. We're adhering to the commands of Jesus as king. We're affirming one another in gifts. We're calling out sin. We're taking the ordinances of baptism and communion together. 
We're displaying God's love. It's a unified group of people. Yet the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that unity does not mean uniformity. The body of Christ is diverse in ethnic ways and and gender and the realities of the different stories that people bring in. And as a world is watching, we submit to church leaders and we submit ultimately as those church leaders submit to Jesus. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. And here's the reality. Some of you guys may be like, whoa. Salt Company is not church. This is not church. Thursday night's not church. It's not just a college worship church service. That's not what Salt Company is. There's a reason why Salt Company is the college ministry of Anthem Church. I am not a pastor. Fun fact. I'm not an elder. So why do we even gather on Thursday nights? Why do we get a couple hundred college students in the same room to send her to God's teaching, to, to worship with one another, to have fellowship? Well, it's just that. We gather on Thursday nights to reach more college students at Mizzou and surrounding universities, and we view tonight and Salt Company as a ministry, as an outreach. As a, the college ministry arm of Anthem Church, we have an opportunity, as I've said many times up here, that there are thousands upon thousands of students in Columbia that do not know Jesus, and the best person to reach a college student is you. It's not me. It's you. And so the goal of tonight, the goal of C groups, the goal is if you're a leader of discipleship groups is, yes, for your spiritual growth, we want to raise you up into spiritual maturity, but it's also to reach the campus because college students are the single most, it's weird talking to you guys, you guys are the most strategic people to reach with the gospel because Lord willing, 90 something, 95% of you are not going to stay in Columbia. And so if we can get you with the gospel now, then when you graduate, You're going to take the gospel to your engineering job. You're going to take it overseas. You're going to take it across the nation. And so this is a huge opportunity to be able to send you guys out on gospel mission wherever you go. See, we see the unique nature of gathering college students to reach other college students. And some of you guys may have actually wondered, it's like, okay, so I come here on Sunday morning, and then I have C group on Tuesday night, and I'm here on Thursday night. What gives? That's like two worship services the same week. That's excessive, is it not? Here's what I would say. And you're like, why do we have another worship service? I would say genuinely, like, why not? Like, when the gates of hell are attempting, they won't. Can I get an amen? When the gates of hell are attempting to take God's kingdom, I hope that there are just pillars all over the country, all over the world of gospel preaching, Christ-centered churches, preaching the word of God so that when the gates of hell come, these pillars of Christians, the body of Christ, standing arm in arm, just like grounded on God's word, grounded by what Jesus said is true, that we can just continually have these pillars all over the world that when the gates of hell attempt, it doesn't matter because God's people have been equipped. God's people are going into the dark places that we're actually charging the gates of hell. Because the gospel is that good of news. And also, secondly, we believe that the biblical precedent and need is for a local church community. That that is where your holistic discipleship takes place. That's where your spiritual health and your life is anchored. And Sunday is the place to come and experience the church gathering. And Thursday nights are meant to be a funnel or a pathway to that. You'll notice we've never done a baptism on a Thursday night. We've never taken communion on a Thursday night. 
because it's not church. It's a funnel to, it's a pathway to church. And as your director, I don't want you and I don't want for you to only be content with this kind of like pseudo-Christian reality of like, okay, you graduate, you go to a church, you sing loudly in the front row, you do not divorce your wife after like 15 years, you give some money to missions every year. That's a pretty shallow bar for you as a, as a long-term Christian. My hope and my prayer for each and every one of you is that whenever you walk across the graduation stage, that I can trust that if I just plop you into any city in America, you could grow in your relationship with Jesus because we hopefully taught you how to walk with him. You can make disciples. And if you really needed to, you could start your own church because you've read the Bible. You spent time with Jesus. You have brothers and sisters around you that are spurring you on in the faith. You're going to continue to confess and repent of sin. You're going to continue to pursue one another in love and service. And I can just plop you into a city. And you just pick right back up where you left, making disciples, pushing out the Great Commission. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Because the body of believers exists because of what Christ has done in us individually. That this body that we now all metaphorically take on as the body of Christ, we can only have this relationship horizontally because Jesus' body was broken for us. His body was broken for us so that we could have relationship, one with Him vertically, and now two with others horizontally. The gospel has broken down barriers. So it's the broken body of Jesus that is the pathway to oneness with Him and oneness with one another. Paul kicks off this text with six ones. It's that important. The body of Christ is to be unified around Jesus. So despite our differences, believers in Christ have one thing in common. It's faith in Jesus. And on this essential truth, the body of Christ finds its unity. And this is the beautiful thing. We don't lose our individuality. We don't lose our diversity. Every single one of you has unique interests, unique hobbies, unique things that make you you. Psalm 139 it up. It's cheesy, unfortunately, in Christian culture, but God has fearfully and wonderfully made each of you individually. He's knit you each together in your mother's womb. You have unique giftings. You have unique wirings. You have things that you're passionate about. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is it's, it's not, don't stunt that. There's only, you know, three ways you can express yourself. The diversity and the beauty of the body of Christ is on display when we actually let those things out. So number two, how do we actually participate in the body? So that's how we, that's how we get into the body, if you will, is through, through faith in Jesus. But how do we actually participate in the body? Verse 15, Paul says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It's interesting now, I love this, it's kind of goofy to me in a little bit, um, but Paul starts using this like body imagery to describe us and how we relate to one another, um, but I think he does it because we all understand how different body parts work and function, at least I would assume. So foot, right, it's useful for walking, not very useful for smelling things. Everybody's like, this is like fifth grade, but 
whatever. Ear, useful for hearing, but not for seeing, right? Our nose is absolutely useful for smelling, but not really for walking. And our eyes are useful for seeing, but not really for smelling. And what Paul's getting at here is that each part of the body has a unique God-given gifting and individual contribution that is integral and necessary to building up the body of Christ. Can you imagine if a human being didn't have a nose? You would never be able to smell your hazelnut coffee when you wake up. You would never be able to smell, I don't know, Old Spice or whatever. I'm making stuff up now. But every single body part on your human physical body that is using as a comparison has an integral necessary function to help your body move and live and eat and all these different things. And what Paul's doing is he's contrasting, not contrasting, he's comparing the realities of the individual body parts on a physical body to the body of Christ. And so each body part similar to each member of the heavenly body, is important. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, get this, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It's not just big noses walking around everywhere. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Guys, many of you guys, I know you do this so well. Right, serving on Sunday morning, your unique contribution. You're working in kids, you're doing parking, you're greeting, you're at the info space, not just in the church, but I know on campus there's a lot of you guys that are, are leading and living and, and just kind of functioning in these very unique capacities that are unique to you. And you're using it as a gospel witness. You're using it to, to put on display the unique giftings that God has given you, not just in the church, but also in the, the secular world on campus. And all these gifts, when used properly, are not self-serving. That's what Paul's getting at, this disunity. It's supposed to be creating unity in the body, but given by God through the Spirit to serve the whole body of Christ. So what are three ways that we can participate in the body? Verse uh, Verse 25, it says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So three ways to participate in the body. And the question that you're asking as I unpack these is, how will you steward and utilize three things, your time, your talent, and your treasure to build up the body of Christ in love and service? So let's, let's move through these here. So number one, time. So these are ways that you're going to actually participate in the body of Christ. Very simply with time, it's like, man, just be available for people. Just like create margin in your schedule to actually be with people. Like physically, face-to-face, across the table with somebody, having deep, authentic conversation. I can't stand small talk, um, which is unfortunate because I actually do that a lot, but um, I don't really like to stay at like the latest and greatest in news, weather, and sports, which is a great place to start, but I'm like a pretty, I like to think I'm like a deeper thinking guy. I like to have those different like, what's the Lord teaching you kept conversations, what's been hard, Um, but like creating time and space for those different conversations to happen. A lot of us, I'm a victim, or not a victim, this is a problem that I have is I'm trying to pack my schedule out so much and be super efficient and accomplish a lot of things. 
But I think what the Lord is calling us to is to have margin in our schedules and in our time to be with people, to, to sit with one another, to pick up the phone, to answer the phone, to be available for your brothers and sisters, whether or not they're going through something or also just to like have fun, go play Frisbee golf, do something fun. And I can promise you that this is the college is the most free you will ever be in your entire life. And some of you guys are like, I, that's not true. You don't know what I'm going through right now. Uh, I can promise you that these four or five, maybe you're taking a sixth year, that's cool, um, is the most free that you will ever be in your entire life. And so my challenge to you as a student is to steward that so well. Because when you graduate, you're going to get a job. It's at eight to five. You're going to come home. You're just going to want to veg. And then if you get married, then you got to care for your spouse. And then, man, if you want to have kids, then it's, I've heard every father is like, that's game over once you have a kid. You just don't have time anymore. So right now is the most free that you will ever be in your entire life. So steward it to serve the Lord and to serve and love others. So time. How about talent? This is where I get a little bit fired up because each of us have unique God-given gifts that God has specifically given us through the power of the Spirit to use for the building up of the church, but also as a witness to the unbelieving world. And some of the gifts that Paul lists, it's not an exhaustive list, um, but like hospitality, administration, evangelism, leadership, music, teaching, service, the list goes on. And every single one of you possesses some, probably most of you will probably possess one that's like a higher end of it, but a lot of you possess multiple different ones. And the beautiful thing about this that I think I experienced acutely for the first time was when I became a director this summer and trying to build a staff team is I have probably my best unique contributions to the team, but there's also five other men and women on the team with me that have giftings that are different than mine. And there's things that I could try and accomplish on my own and do like 80% well. But man, if I pass that off to one of my staff team members, they're going to do it 100% better than I could. Joe Rothwell, for example, I don't know how in the world, like he plays like, where is he? He plays like 17 instruments. Like he plays the drums, he plays the guitar, he, can, he just is good with music stuff. There's a reason I usually exist in the middle of the service, not on the bookends, because I'm useless with music and instruments. I played the trumpet in fifth and sixth grade, and then that was it, because that's not my unique contribution that the Lord had gifted me with. So Joe is gifted in music. He's up here, and God has specifically given him that gift, and he's using it to serve you guys, to serve the anthem body on Sunday morning, and I, I think he enjoys it, I, I assume. Yeah, okay, good. Thumbs up. Fantastic. So Joe, Joe's a music guy. Delaney is an administration freak. I don't know how she does what she does. Um, I thought I was pretty good at admin, but she, if, if I have handed something off to her, I never have to worry that it's going to get done. It's super clear. It's concise. Um, she's really good in spreadsheets, like all these different things. And I think that I'm good at admin until she came on staff and I started handing her stuff. And I'll be honest, I was a little insecure from time to time because I'm like, how has she made a spreadsheet better than me? I was an engineer. Engineers live by spreadsheets, but she has the gift of administration, and I don't. But that's the beauty of the body, and I felt it most acutely on the staff team this summer as we're building a team. It's like, okay, it feels good to be able to, to give somebody a task or, or a job that actually is A, life-giving for them because they're gifted in it. It's where their passions and proficiencies overlap, 
but it also helps take something off my plate and it fans into flame the gifting that God has given them specifically. A lot of you students, I've gotten to hang out with you, you just have the gift of evangelism. It's ridiculous. Um, you're out on campus just sowing seed all the time, trying to have gospel conversations with people. A lot of you guys have that gift. Many of you guys are, are in leadership circles um, on campus, in the church. And guys, we need Christian leaders in the, in the, in the workplace, Christian CEOs, people that are in administration that as the world continues to get more post-Christian, like we need you guys in, in our schools teaching a biblical sexuality. We need you guys in, in admin roles in education that are developing different, you know, like course structures and, and different things that are actually identifying truly what the Bible teaches. We need engineering managers and accountants who aren't just making people projects as they're working on their projects, but are actually seeing people that they're overseeing as people and engaging in them in the way that Jesus would have. And if you don't know what your specific gifting may be, and this list isn't exhaustive, I'd encourage you to ask a friend within the body. Because in the body of Christ, they call out gifts, and then they affirm gifts in the abundance of counsel. But in order to have your gifts called out and affirmed, you actually have to be in the body. You actually have to show up. You have to come to Salt. You have to come to church. You have to go to C group and be invested to know your contribution, to build up the body in love and service. And then third is treasure. And immediately everybody thinks of money. And then you look in your wallet and you're like, I don't have that, so I guess I'm exempt from this third one. I work, I work for a church, so I get that. Um, it's not just money, though, okay? Who lives at Canvas apartments or townhomes or whatever? I know there's more of you, but okay, right on. All right, so people live at Canvas... You guys have the biggest stinking, um, oh my gosh, living room of like any apartment. It's ridiculous. And I've, I've been over to some of your guys' places. I lived at Canvas for a bit this summer um, before I got in my permanent apartment. But like those are like, oh my gosh, they're so huge. Um, that is a way, that is a treasure that you possess that you can use to build up the body to invite people into your home. And a lot of you guys that live over there, I know you, you do that really well and really faithfully. That's an opportunity to be hospitable with a gifting that God has given you with just a large space to be stewarded, to invite people in. I didn't have a car my freshman, sophomore, junior year. It's a big reason why me and Nate Hardy are such good friends and why we're roommates now, uh, because I was just his little like ride-along co-pilot everywhere he went because I didn't have a car and needed to come to Salt and church and go like to Target and stuff. Um, so Nate served me because he had a treasure of a car and I didn't. Um, but a lot of you guys have cars, and it is, it's loving, and it's, it's a gifting that you're stewarding to give people rides. And some of you guys are like, this is a really low barrier of entry. But there's a lot of very small needs that are just helpful for people. Freshmen, you don't probably want to walk to AV14, am I right? I guess everybody loves walking AV14. Um, <laughs> but man, if, if, you're, if your secret leader is coming to pick you up, like, isn't, that, isn't that a relief for you? And then that's an opportunity, C group leaders, to pour into the people in your groups. So you're stewarding the talent, or I'm sorry, stewarding the treasure that you have, meal swipes to grab lunch, buying someone dinner, engaging in them in those ways. It's not just money. It's also your possessions and the things that you have, the places where you live. One of the best examples of this for me growing up was uh, 
an older-ish lady uh, who lived down the street from me who went to my church. Her husband was an elder at my church, uh, Miss Sherelle Belanger. She was from down south in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and she just was a fiery southern woman who loved the Lord like nobody else that I ever met. And Miss Sherelle, uh, I'm, I've been, I haven't lived at home for six years. The church that I went to, I haven't, I haven't gone back very often since then. But I kid you not, a couple weeks ago, out of the blue, she does this pretty consistently. Miss Sherelle texts Zach Everly and says, she calls me baby. She calls everybody baby. She goes, hey, baby, how can I be praying for you? And uh, I, haven't been, I haven't even talked to her in person for about two, two and a half years. But I tell you what, Miss Sherelle, I know she is praying for me. Because she is, hands down, one of the most, um, she just loves people. And she's received the grace from Jesus, and she just wants to extend that to others. She believes the Lord loves her and the Lord loves me, and she stewards her time, talent, and treasure like nobody else. She's serving in kids' ministry. She's helping disciple high school girls. She's already got three boys of her own. They just adopted a little girl. Um, And and her husband is a, a really hardworking guy, but she just went out of her way because she and my mom are best friends to just pour into my life. She's a second mom to me. And still, like if I came back last year, uh, when I came back for Christmas, she walked all the way through the neighborhood and came over to our house just to bring me chocolate chip cookies. That's right. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, but like Miss Sherelle, and I, I think there are Miss Sherelles in this room. People that are just going above and beyond because they want to be invested in the body of Christ. They've received the grace of Jesus. They see what Jesus has done for them. And they see broken, hurting people, not just in the church, but outside the church too. There's an opportunity for us to witness to an unbelieving world. This is weird to the culture, to be stewarding time, talent, and treasure for someone else. Because we live in a culture that's all about me and me being comfortable and me doing what I want. This is weird. This is a, this is a gospel witness to a people who are disunified in a lot of different ways. But there's two common errors that we have in participation. Verse 21 is the first one. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So the first error that we have in participation is being proud of your abilities. This is a a ditch that we can fall into, is being proud of your abilities. The arrogance of saying that you don't need someone else or that their gifting or contribution is lesser than. Comparison and arrogance has no place in the kingdom of God. Why? I pointed out earlier, verse 18, God arranged the members in each body as he chose. The Holy Spirit has has entered into you if you've repented of your sins and you've professed faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit has entered into you and the Holy Spirit has given you those gifts. That's why you need the body of Christ to affirm and confirm those. And this arrogance and comparison of being proud of your own abilities, it breeds disunity in the church, which is why Paul is calling it out. We have no right to be proud of our abilities because Christ has given us those gifts to be stewarded for him and his glory. Well, let me be clear, it's okay to acknowledge that you have it. That's giving God the glory for the gift. But as soon as it becomes a comparison game, or you're looking down on someone else because they either don't have the gift or the gift that you have, somebody else isn't ascending to that level. They're not as good of a leader as you think that you are, so they're lesser than. The list goes on. You're in sin. 
And the second common error is in verse 25. Paul says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So the second error in participation is thinking that you have nothing to give to the body of believers, that you have nothing to give to the body of believers. Because again, each and every one of you, if you've been bought by the blood of Christ, have a unique gifting from God that he has called you to steward in the body for him and for his glory. So Salt Company, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God and do it strategically for the kingdom of God. Instead of comparing yourself to one another, let's use our different gifts together to spread the good news of the gospel to campus, to Columbia, and to the unbelieving world. Lastly, number three is how do we invest in the body, both now and I'm going to talk briefly about more long-term, because a lot of you guys are just kind of passing through Columbia. So how do we invest in the body? Verse 27, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then verses 28, 29, and 30, he lists all these gifts, right? So apostles, prophets, teachers, all these, yada, yada, yada. But in order to invest in the body, you first need to be a part of the body, which is why we spent time talking about that. And secondly, you need to know your giftings. But not all of us have the same gifting. Look at the logic of verses 28 through 30. He lists all these questions rhetorically. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do these things? And the obvious emphatic answer is no. We're not all unified in the same gift. We're unified in Christ, and there's unity in Christ, but diversity in the gifts and diversity in the individuals. Because God has uniquely gifted and wired you. But then verse 31, Paul says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What does he mean by a still more excellent way. What's this way? What's the way of love? It's the way of Jesus. Love for God and love for neighbor. Because in context, the very next chapter, right after this, the very next verse is 1 Corinthians 13, which you've, if you spent five seconds in your Bible, you know that's the love chapter. It's all about love. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not boastful. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love is. So the higher way is love. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus summarized the greatest commandment of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's why we have these gifts. That's why we exist in the body of Christ, is to build one another up in love and service and to be a witness to an unbelieving world. But love's become weird in our culture. Biblical love and worldly love are pretty drastically different. Biblical love does not mean affirmation, while the world would say to love me is you need to affirm every choice that I make. Biblical love is speaking hard truth with grace, but speaking hard truth. It's saying what needs to be said when it needs to be said biblically. The purpose of these giftings is for love and service to build up the body of Christ. I think a lot of us feel the contrary to this in the world we live in, just the disunity that we have. Whether it's politics, election year next year, who's excited for that? Right? Gender and sexuality. You just kind of pick your own, pick your own adventure. There's racial issues, social media echo chambers. America's disunified. The world's disunified. In a lot of countries now, you can get imprisoned for different 
things that you're publicly professing. There's disunity all across the globe. And I think what Jesus is calling us to in this text, what Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to and what I would exhort Salt Company to do is to recall back what Christ has done for us as individuals. And could we just be reunited around the blood of the Lamb and the faith that we all possess in Jesus, that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not a gift that we, we receive cheaply. Jesus died for that gift, the grace that we get to possess. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, and once we have it, there's nothing that we can do to get it taken away from us. That's the thing that keeps us with one another, because we're identified with the blood of Jesus and nothing else. Not a pastor, not a leader, not a denomination, but Jesus himself. Well, how do we do this? How do we stay unified? Again, you actually have to be in the body. You actually have to be invested in the body. And there's got to be concrete rhythms where you create space for the Holy Spirit to do his work. So here are three commitments that I think every single one of us in the room should just make, uh, frankly, for the rest of our lives. So these three Christian commitments, Christian community commitments is what I'll call them on the screen. For the rest of your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, attend church every week. Attend small group every week and stay in consistent discipleship relationships. It's really not that difficult. Because here's the deal, this is why, and that I, what I don't want you to see up here is, now Zach is being legalistic. That's not what I want you to hear. The reason why we have these as core rhythms is because, number one, I am and you are forgetful people. And these are core rhythms that when we have, we are realigned every time. We come to church on Sunday to open up God's Word, to, to hear what the Spirit has to say to us, to sing in, in public worship with one another, to fellowship with one another, to be encouraged by testimonies and baptisms to take the Lord's Supper, to be reminded until Jesus comes back as we live in the already and the not yet. We come to church to be re reminded of that. We attend small groups. We break bread together in each other's homes. We confess and repent of sin. We get into each other's lives. We pray with one another. We open the Bible. We study the Bible. We have accountability with brothers and sisters and discipleship relationships. Every one of us, as we continue to progress in our Christian walk, should have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. A Paul being someone older than you in the faith who's helping you walk with Jesus, helping you navigate your marriage, your career, your friends, your finances. Everybody should have a Barnabas, a peer-level friend who's just a bro or a sister to lean on. Somebody you can call when things get tough, somebody to go hang out with. And somebody should always, you should always have a Timothy, someone below you in spiritual maturity, that you're helping walk with the Lord like your Paul is for you. And I'm not stealing these from anywhere other than what the Bible says. But I think these are three commitments that you can make to commit to now and for when you graduate. And lastly, a lot of you guys graduating in December, and all of you guys hopefully will graduate at some point. Some of you guys are like, I don't know, we'll see. Um, with this last one, all of us should be looking for a church when we graduate. The hope and prayer is that you would not stay in Salt Company forever. Um, I will kick you out the door after probably year seven. Um, sorry, but you're not supposed to be in Salt Company forever, and that's good. That's healthy. So this next slide, and then we're done, 
is your church checklist. I don't really know how I feel about the word checklist. I couldn't come up with a better one, so just roll with me. Uh, this list is not exhaustive, uh, to be clear, but I think these are five things, just kind of at a 10,000-foot level, that you should probably be looking for upon graduation as you're trying to identify a church community to get involved with. Super important. So number one is that the church actually preaches the Bible. So is the pastor or the whoever's coming up to teach, is God's Word open? Are they able to give a sermon without even opening the Word of God? Is the Bible being preached? Is the text king? Is it not just what the pastor thinks is good? Is there not, hopefully there's not like a political agenda or a social agenda? God's Word is the agenda, so they're preaching the Bible faithfully. Number two is that it's gospel-centered, meaning that the church talks about sin. They talk about grace. They talk about faith. They talk about the resurrection, the ascension, that Jesus is actually coming back, that there's a reality of that we're, we're bought by the blood of Jesus, that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, that the gospel is preached, the gospel is, is central to everything that the church does. The third one is that there's a, a plurality of leadership. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, excuse me, that there's multiple elders or pastors that are helping shepherd the flock. A lot of churches these days have one singular leader that the church just kind of sits under, and that's their pastor that they follow. So if, if there's a plurality of leaders, there's multiple is what plurality means, more than one. They're helping shepherd and lead the church, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5. That's a healthy mark of a church. Number four is that there's, this, there's a, some semblance of a discipleship structure or pathway that people are actually uh, growing in their faith. There's the Bible's being opened. People are praying with one another. There's actually a way in which you can continue to grow in your spiritual walk and your spiritual journey. And then lastly, there's, there's some semblance or, or push towards missions or outreach, yes, globally, but also locally within the, the context in the city that you're actually living and serving in. And again, I'm just stealing these, essentially distilled down from the Great Commission. This is exactly what Jesus has called us to, because I think all of us, if you've been around the church for very long, you probably want, and I would encourage you to attend a church that is passionate about what Jesus was passionate about and reflects what Jesus teaches. And these are things that Jesus was passionate about. These are things that reflect what Jesus teaches, the Great Commission, the things that he calls us to. So Salt Company, Jesus is calling us to be a family on mission through the broken body of Christ, which actually is the thing that unifies us to make us one, to make us whole, and the power of the Spirit, we have the honor and privilege to be a body of believers who use their giftings and function in unity to be a witness for a broken, hurting, and disunified world. So friends, we all have giftings from God in the body. And my question for you tonight is how will you Use and steward your specific gifting to serve God and your neighbor. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for just the fact that the gospel is, is still good news and that we can sit with you in these things. God, that you've given all of us individually unique gifts. 
And I pray that we would use them and steward them for you and for your glory. And God, I pray that the unbelieving world would ask, why? What do you have that I don't? How can you exist with someone that you disagree on different things about? I pray that the gospel would continue to go forward, that we wouldn't compare ourselves, that we would encourage and exhort one another, that we would keep in step with the Spirit, that we would be one body, the body of Christ, the Big C Church on mission on Mizzou's campus in Columbia and across the world for you and for your glory alone, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.